the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Russia retreating from eastern Kharkiv as Ukraine's massive counteroffensive picks up steam and liberates several towns. So far, the Ukrainian military has reclaimed about 2,500 square kilometers of land. The United States remembers 9-11 on its 21st anniversary. We will always seek to be worthy of those we lost. As the nation sees two million illegal border crossings, the vice president, Kamala Harris, says the border is secure. You're confident this border is secure. We have a secure border. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Monday, September 12th. I'm Mike Scott. Taking a look at the war in Ukraine on Sunday, Russia attacked power stations, causing widespread outages. The move came as Kiev's forces pressed a massive counteroffensive that had seen Moscow's troops driven from large swaths of territory it had occupied in that country's northeast. The fighting caused a fire at a power station on Kharkiv's border, killed at least one person. President Volodymyr Zelensky denounced the deliberate and cynical missile strikes against civilian targets as acts of terror. Meantime, the Zaporizhzhia nuclear power plant in the Russia-occupied South completely shut down in a bid to prevent a radiation leak as fighting raged nearby. Ukraine's forward push to reclaim Russian-occupied territory in the Kharkiv region has forced Moscow to withdraw troops in a bid to prevent them from being surrounded. Russian troops are leaving behind significant numbers of weapons and munitions in that hasty retreat. Joe Khalil of News Nation says that Ukraine has been very successful in this latest offensive. This counteroffensive has been really working for them and it, probably the most aggressive push yet, Natasha, to really take the fight uh, to the Russian military, not just pushing back Russian fighters, forcing them to retreat, but also reclaiming territory in Ukraine that at this point was under Russian occupation and again, really have been successful at it. You know, Russian troops have been moving back. They have been retreating, especially in parts of the northeastern region in the country and uh, in the southeastern part as well. So far, the Ukrainian military has reclaimed about 2,500 square kilometers of land. That is an incredibly uh, large and significant portion. That's according to the Institute for the Study of War. Khalil goes on to say that the U.S. is shipping in more military aid to Ukraine as they ramp up their counteroffensive. 
in just the last couple of days, Ukraine's military has really fought back and taken control back. And that includes some strategic cities like Izium, which is a transportation hub, and the Kharkiv region, which also has been pretty important in this conflict. Ukrainian fighters infused with some momentum after these couple of battles and also news that nearly $2 billion worth of resources and weapons from the United States are on their way. The military package includes howitzers, artillery munitions, Humvees, armored ambulances and anti-tank systems. Khalil says that Russia claims their troops are only regrouping, not retreating. You know, we are in campaign season, so we're getting used to what spin sounds like. The Russian defense ministry is commenting on what's happening in Ukraine now, but they say that their troops are not retreating. Rather, they are just regrouping and reorganizing so that they can set a new phase in the near future for another attack. But, you know, this is the same Russian defense ministry, Natasha, that we have heard uh, not even call this conflict in Ukraine a war. There have been a number of other examples where they've been less than truthful. So the State Department really taking what the Russian defense ministry says with a grain of salt there, uh, because clearly what we see on the ground is Ukraine's counteroffensive is successfully taking back some of their land in really crucial spots. Yeah. Bloomberg's Tony Chukska says that even though Ukraine has made advances, they still run the risk of spreading their forces too thin. That, that element of surprise is, is, seems to apply on both sides, as you say. I mean, the next question, or the looming question for, for the Ukrainians after this quite uh, stunning, by all accounts, uh, advance uh, in this in this uh, northern pocket right up against the Russian border, uh, is, of course, what do you do uh, from there? Because we heard... Um, or actually, I was watching um, uh, President Zelensky in his in his nightly broadcast or video address, uh, saying, uh, as he always does, uh, you know, the goal is to retake everything that Russia has uh, has captured. So there is a risk, of course, of the uh, Ukrainians, uh, despite U.S. and Western military aid, overstretching, and that's something that will probably play out in, you know, in the, in the days and weeks ahead. Chukska explains why the city of Izium in Ukraine is so strategically valued. Izium is important because it is a rail junction, and uh, it's it's been a sort of a gateway for Russian supply lines into this area around Kharkov, or Kharkiv, which is uh, Ukraine's uh, second city. And uh, the there's there were some Russian reports that the that the Russians had given it up, and mm. uh, tonight. Um, uh, Zelensky, or last night, Zelensky uh, uh, hinted that, uh, in fact, the Ukrainians are claiming that they have retaken it. Chukska goes on to discuss the Russian attack on Ukrainian infrastructure. Russia hasn't said that much publicly. Uh, uh, there's been some criticism by sort of Russian-aligned military bloggers and also from some of the people in these these self-proclaimed republics that, that have been set up uh, in eastern Ukraine since 2014 when Russia first moved or encroached on this area. So that that, that is, it's not like there's been a blackout uh, or an information blackout. Uh, but what 
what did happen is, is um, according to the Ukrainian side, that um, Sunday night uh, there was a series of missile strikes against infrastructure targets, uh, which uh, we take to mean, uh, you know, electricity uh, or electrical stations or power plants. Uh, and 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 there's been reports of uh, of significant power outages in various parts of Ukraine. Chukska says the strikes on Ukraine's power plants shows that while Russia may be on the defensive, they still have significant firepower to strike civilian targets. The Ukrainians say this is Russia hitting back in frustration and retaliation for our advances. But it's a real uh, thing and, of course, shows that, that Russia still holds significant cards, including uh, uh, missile capabilities that can strike uh, what the Ukrainians describe as uh, civilian targets. On Sunday, Americans remembered 9-11 with tributes and pleas to never forget 21 years after the deadliest terror attack on U.S. soil. Victims, relatives, and dignitaries gathered Sunday at all three places where hijacked jets crashed September 11, 2001. The World Trade Center in New York, the Pentagon, and a Pennsylvania field near Shanksville. First Lady Jill Biden spoke in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Vice President Kamala Harris attended the ceremony in New York, where politicians are not allowed to speak. The attacks there killed nearly 3,000. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says the U.S. will always deliver justice to those who deserve it. America's determination to keep our country safe will never waver. And neither will America's determination to bring justice to those who attack our citizens. Austin went on to say that on the 21st anniversary of 9-11, let us renew our dedication to facing the test of tomorrow as our heroes did. We will always remember. We will always stand guard over this democracy. And we will always seek to be worthy of those who we lost. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley, says on 9-11, they honor those who were killed. To remember and reflect and to reaffirm our resolve to support and defend the idea and the reality that is America, for which those brave souls gave their last full measure of devotion. Milley says 9-11 was not just an attack on three locations. It was an attack on the entire nation. The terrorists believed that they could destroy us, destroy our values, the values that bind this nation. And they were wrong. Terror will never destroy us. They will never destroy the idea that is America. Jay Solomon, who lost his brother Wayne in the Twin Towers, says 21 years later, there is still no place that he'd ever be on this day. I've always been down here at Ground Zero from the time, you know, the first time we were allowed down, you know, and uh, it's just something you begin to live with. You always still somewhat expect that you're going to see, you know, he's going to appear one day, you know what I mean? Even though... We were one of the lucky ones that you know, he was identified. Bonina Mentis, who lost her sister Siobhan in the Twin Towers, says no matter how many years have passed, 
it's still so hard to comprehend what happened on 9-11. It's hard for me to talk um, about it. Um, I lost my sister. She was only 25 years old at the time. So um, it's been 21 years, but it's not 21 years for us. It seems like just yesterday. Um, the wounds are still fresh. Deborah Burton, who lost her best friend Joyce Carpento in the Twin Towers, says she brought flowers and a poem to pay tribute to her. I just miss that she was a beautiful, full life. It was taken too soon. It, she loved all people, and we're just living in a time now where that's so important in the world. On Sunday's Meet the Press, Vice President Kamala Harris raised eyebrows with her response to a question by host Chuck Todd about the southern border and if the vice president believed it to be secure. The vice president, to the apparent astonishment of Todd, answered that, yes, she believed the southern border was secure. The Meet the Press host then reminded her that illegal border crossings were set to surpass two million this year, setting a new record to which Harris doubled down. Would you call the border secure? I think that there is no question that we have to do what the president and I asked Congress to do. Is the first request we made, pass a bill to create a pathway to citizenship. The border is secure, but we also have a broken immigration system, in particular over the last four years before we came in, and it needs to be fixed. We're going to have two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. But there are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix, given the deterioration that happened over the last four years. We also have to put in place a, 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 a law and a plan for a pathway for citizenship for the millions of people who are here and are prepared to do what is legally required to gain citizenship. We don't have that in place because people are playing politics in a state like this and in Congress. On, By the way, you want to talk about bipartisanship on an issue that at one time was a bipartisan issue, both in terms of Republican senators and, and even presidents. However, in an apparent contradiction of the vice president's assertions, ABC's Myra Villarreal traveled down to the southern border to report on the migrant crisis. Along the South Texas border, local, state, and federal agents are working around the clock to try and slow the flow of migrants. We got a bird's eye view of the situation with the Texas Department of Public Safety. I can see a group of about four or five that have already made it across into the U.S. and a second group is now just crossing the Rio Grande. And it looks like they're going to be intercepted by the uh, by the crews on the ground. The U.S. is on pace to hit a record-breaking two million encounters this year. On the ground, we watch as dozens of migrants cross into the U.S., almost immediately turning themselves into agents standing by. 
the majority of the migrants crossing into Eagle Pass don't have any intention of staying here. This family is from Venezuela. They're planning to ride the free buses Texas Governor Greg Abbott is sending north to sanctuary cities like New York and Washington, D.C. Villarreal says that some critics of Texas Governor Greg Abbott's migrant busing may be encouraging more migrant crossings. So far, immigration officials say New York City has taken in some 6,000 migrants. All have been processed by immigration officials, many seeking asylum through Title VIII, an immigration policy which allows migrants to lawfully live in the U.S. while their cases are pending. Critics questioning whether Governor Abbott's busing strategy is leading to even more border crossings. Villarreal reports that Governor Abbott responds to criticism by saying that America needs to understand how dire the situation is at the southern border. New York Mayor Eric Adams calling out Abbott during a conversation with Nightline's Byron Pitts. You have a person who is using those who are seeking refuge in this country as almost political showmanship. He thinks that this is a theatrical performance, and it's not. Abbott responding, calling it a crisis for the nation, not just border states. Before we begin busing illegal immigrants up to New York, it was just Texas and Arizona that bore the brunt of all of the chaos and all the problems that come with it. We need uh, uh, our fellow Americans to understand how significant, how prolific uh, the challenges that we're dealing with. Villarreal says that the Biden administration has largely remained quiet on the border issue. While millions of migrants have been expelled using Title 42, the pandemic rule that lets agents kick out migrants without processing their asylum claims, many of those expelled simply turn around and come right back in. So this group was picked up here. Instantly they ran their information. Border Patrol says they cannot, for whatever reason, request asylum. So they pulled them onto the bridge. This is the International Bridge right outside Eagle Pass, and they are they got out right on top of the bridge, and now they are walking straight over back into Mexico. So that is basically Title 42 in a nutshell. The Biden administration has remained fairly quiet about issues unfolding along the border. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas acknowledged they have work to do, but that's not good enough for Abbott. This is a crisis caused by the Biden administration. Remember, two years ago, we had the lowest number of border crossings in decades. Today, we have the highest number of illegal crossings into the United States ever. Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch says that the person who leaked the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization draft opinion could soon be revealed. We get details from our congressional correspondent. Daybreak insider Bernie Bennett. Speaking before a group of lawyers and judges, it was Justice Gorsuch's first public comments since the draft was leaked in June, sparking nationwide enthusiasm that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. Gorsuch said at the Tenth Circuit Judicial Conference in Colorado Springs, quote, the Chief Justice appointed an internal committee to oversee the investigation. That committee has been busy and we're looking forward to their report, I hope soon. However, he did not say whether the findings will be made public. Chief Justice John Roberts launched an investigation into finding who the leaker of the draft was, but few updates have been made. Bernie Bennett reporting. According to a new post-2020 census survey, the U.S. Census Bureau significantly undercounted the population of six states, such as Florida, Arkansas, Illinois, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Texas. All but one of them 
are red states. At the same time, it overcounted the population of eight states, all but one of which is a blue state. The 2020 errors were discovered when the Census Bureau interviewed a large number of households across the country and compared answers it got to the original census responses in 2020. Interestingly, the census made its largest overcount percentage error in President Joe Biden's tiny home state of Delaware, overcounting by nearly five and a half percent. But Rhode Island and Minnesota were also overcounted by 5% and 3.8% respectively, which allowed them to keep a congressional seat to which they are not entitled. Heritage Foundation's senior legal fellow Hans von Spakovsky tells the Salem Radio Network he's hesitant to say if politics was involved in the miscounts. I don't know whether this was uh, bad planning, bad uh, procedures, or intentional, uh, because the survey that Census Bureau released does not in any way explain what could have caused these problems. Von Spakovsky tells the Salem Radio Network the miscount had an adverse impact on a couple of key states. A number of red states, uh, Florida and Texas, for example, were cheated out of congressional seats. Uh, because Florida was undercounted and Texas was undercounted, Florida actually should have gotten two additional seats in the U.S. House when they did apportionment. Texas should have gotten an additional seat. Von Spakovsky went on to say two blue states benefited greatly from the miscount. Two of the blue states that kept Congressional seats actually should have lost them, Minnesota and Rhode Island. Each of them should have lost a seat if their states had not been overcounted. The Heritage Foundation legal fellow went on to tell the Salem Radio Network there's no viable way to fix the problem prior to November's mid-year elections. Even if you could convince a court that some kind of remedy um, should, should be applied, it's like, well, how do you, how do you come up with a remedy? The already strained supply chain in the U.S. may take another hit if railroad workers go on strike. If they do so, the strike could drive up prices at the grocery store and limit U.S. grain exports to countries facing famine. As soon as this week, 115,000 freight rail workers could walk off the job if they cannot reach a new contract with railroads, potentially shutting down the national rail network that transports 20% of all grain. KTLA's David Lazarus explains how a strike may bring freight hauling to a near standstill. As if we didn't have enough to worry about, now there's this. A major railway strike is scheduled for next week, unless it gets resolved earlier. Let's hope it does. And if so, as Sandy just mentioned, it could bring freight shipments to a virtual halt, especially at a time when we need things to be unblocked when it comes to the supply chain. But this is what we're looking at right now. Unions that represent more than 90,000 railway workers are, are threatening to go on strike as of September 16th, largely over scheduling issues. The stoppage could bring nearly half 
of all the freight shipments to an immediate halt. And if a strike were to not only be called, but to continue for a while, that could result in empty store shelves and much higher prices because of a scarcity of goods out there. This at a time when consumer prices are already at a 40-year high. It could get resolved. A key issue here is the idea that many railway workers have to be on call seven days a week, which prevents them from planning any personal time. The railway workers say that's not quite fair. That seems like something that could be resolved if cooler heads prevail. It turns out that Congress does have the authority to step in and prevent a railway strike, but that would require a level of bipartisanship that we really haven't seen for quite some time now. While unions say they want to avert a strike and Congress has the power to block it, the U.S. food sector is rattled by the prospect of a national radio shutdown in the middle of a peak harvest season. In an interesting move, some retailers are beginning to take lobster off the menu. Daybreak Insider's John Scott has more on this story. This comes after an assessment from a conservation group that the seafood poses too much of a risk to a rare whale and should be avoided. Seafood Watch, which rates the sustainability of different seafoods, has added the American and Canadian lobster fisheries to its red list of species to avoid. The organization says the fishing industry is a danger to North Atlantic right whales. Thousands of companies follow the group's recommendations, and HelloFresh and Blue Apron are among those who will stop selling lobster. John Scott reporting. And finally... A man in Florida got a jump on spooky season by dressing up as horror icon Michael Myers while strolling along the beach. Take a look at this. This is not what you would want to see if you were enjoying a drink on the beach. Michael Myers, what are you doing? This is up in the Panhandle in Panama City. The Halloween star hung out for about 45 minutes before he disappeared. One person on social media said they're glad to see Michael taking some time to himself before he gets to busy season. <laughs> One beachgoer told reporters that Michael Myers wasn't bothering anyone and that he seemed quite approachable and wasn't causing any problems. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.